Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Lynn. We talk about her journey, how she became the CEO of Misami, as well as what goes into her hair care products. We talk about clean beauty, how important it is to look at the ingredients that are in our skincare and hair care products, and so much more. So let's get started. So thank you so much, Lynn, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to know about your story. Tell me any career changes you've had so far. How did you get to the place you're at right now? Thank you for having me. Um, I think we will have a great conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I spent 30 years um, in advertising and marketing. I was running agencies. I was most recently the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York. And before that, I headed Arnold, New York. And I've worked in lots and lots of different businesses and categories throughout my, my years. But about two years ago, I decided, you know what, I'm really tired of doing all this work and building other people's brands. I need to build my own brand. And serendipitously, I met my partner, James, who had these formulations, but didn't know what to do with them. And so we came together to launch Masami, which is our baby. <laughs> it actually means truly beautiful. It doesn't mean our baby, but that launched in February and we've been, um, you know, kind of dealing with all the stuff going or happening around us ever since. And how'd you meet your partner? So I met James through my husband, actually. James had migrated from being a producer at Clairol for 20 years and at L'Oreal. And he was sort of the guy dealing with the models on the front line as they were complaining about their hair color or their fried their hair was. And he had migrated into advertising. So he was working with my husband and had basically come clean one night that he'd been working on these for 10 years on the side and no one knew. He just had this idea that you could create a super hydrating product that wasn't going to have any of the bad stuff that unfortunately he felt like he was imparting on people back in the day. So that's kind of how that came to be. So I met him and we just decided, you know, this is a perfect partnership. He's very, very intense and, and very hair focused and really in touch with what's happening on the market. And he's kind of like a crazy scientist R&D brain. And I'm definitely more the business brain, the one who's grounded, who's thinking of the go-to-market strategy, who's building our distribution plan and things, the boring things like that. 
And what tips would you have for someone who's trying to find a business partner and trying to find someone who would complement their strengths and weaknesses? I would say the first thing is you kind of have to know yourself and what you love to do. Because if I was loving making products, he and I would be clashing because, you know, that's his superpower. And I think you have to be honest with yourself about what you don't love to do. I don't love to do spreadsheets and finances. (laughs) That's why I have a really good CFO on my team who does all that because that is not my strength. So I think part of it is just understanding, you know, what you each bring and then figuring out like the little Venn diagram of where it meets in the middle and then having alignment on what you want to build. Because oftentimes I've seen startups where the founders just don't agree with what the business is going to look like in five years. And that's impossible. You know, if you're building to a different end game, it's just hard. It's really hard to make it work. So have the tough conversations early. That's what I would say. And how do you formulate this product? So we have a chemist in Chicago who is absolutely amazing. And she specializes in indie luxe clean beauty, which is exactly what we are. So James found her, sort of stumbled on her kind of randomly. And we've been working with them for about eight years. And once... Once he found them and knew that they could figure out how to take out the bad stuff out of hair care and put in good stuff, he threw another challenge at them, which is, you know, we want super hydration and we want to use this Japanese ocean botanical that he had found because he was going to his husband Masa's hometown, Atsuchi, Japan, and saw how young his entire family looks. And, you know, they have the longest life expectancy in Japan. And so he was um, really enamored with this food that they would eat and they would also grind it up and put it in their shampoo and put it in their skincare. And so that became the basis of our product line. It's this Japanese ocean botanical called Makabu that does a lot of the, the good things you want. And then it's obviously supplementing it with things like aloe and apricot oil and things that uh, offer additional benefits, but again, without parabens or sulfates or phthalates, which we didn't want. And can you go into like clean beauty, what it is and how you got into it? Yeah. So I think I was saying to you, like clean beauty has a lot of different definitions. Um, But for us at at the very core, it's about beauty that's good for you and good for the environment and should not have the known toxins in it. So if anyone wants to start to think about clean beauty and look at what you're using. Um, the ones to avoid are the sulfates, parabens, phthalates. Those are pretty much the standard bad bad guys. There are more, but those are the standard bad guys. A lot of fragrances also have phthalates in them, which people don't realize. Ours is actually naturally derived and uh, phthalate-free. We made sure to make that as clean as possible too. But that would be, I would say, kind of how you start to get into clean beauty. I think the reason people get into clean beauty is a couple things. So I'm friends with this woman, Cassandra, who has the Clean Beauty Con. And she started getting into clean beauty because she was developing really bad allergies and health problems. And it was traced back to her beauty products. So sometimes it can be sparked by something like that, where you're breaking out or you're having allergic reactions or you don't know why. And it actually turns out it's your skin cream or something else. But other people are just realizing that our world is kind of becoming, and we're doing it too, we're, 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 the humans are creating it, a more toxic environment. I mean, the allergy incidence is on the rise. You know, there's just, obviously we're living in a global pandemic right now. So people are just becoming more aware, I think, of the importance of trying to use products that are, are actually good for you. So, yeah. 
Have you always known about clean beauty? No, I mean, it's, again, I'm old. So when I started (laughs) in the business, it really wasn't at all a thing. Like you just didn't think about that. And beauty consumers have been trained for years, for a hundred years to be um, really focused on the results. You know what I mean? So you, you, you put up with a lot if the product worked, you almost didn't care what was in it. That was, that was, but, but I think once science caught up and we're able to understand the implications of certain ingredients, some of them can change your hormone balance. I mean, there's, there's, you know, environmental impact issues and there's personal health impact. And once I think those things started to come out and be proven in the last maybe decade, right? The early adopter brands really led the way. I mean, there's Tom's of Maine and a few other brands that have been on that trend for a while, but now with it being relatively easy to launch your own brand, most of the brands that I know, like other female founders that are doing this are making their brands as clean as possible. Because why wouldn't you, you know, if you've got the ability to do that, it's like, why wouldn't you make your products as clean as you can make them? And what are some of your favorite clean beauty products? I've been using a moisturizer by Codex, C-O-D-E-X, that I really like because it's not heavy and kind of just doesn't, doesn't weigh down. I've also been using a natural deodorant that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. <laughs> but... I feel like deodorant's the next area where, you know, those are chemicals again that you're putting on, on under your arm. So I think that one is going to be the next one that, well, hair is becoming really a focused category now, but I think that antiperspirant and deodorant is also going to be a focus area too. What's your favorite product in the line? That you have? Of our own products? I actually love the styling cream. I know it doesn't look like it with my hair, but um, I like it because it's super lightweight and it's almost, it, it does give you a light to medium hold, but it's like almost can absorb into the skin. It's almost like a lotion and it's not sticky. It's not greasy. Um, and it's um, designed, it was whipped so that when you put it in your hair, it doesn't leave chunks. You know, sometimes you use like a gel or a pomade or something like that. And they just leave like chunks or crusty things in your hair and it's not attractive. So we wanted our product to absorb in, but still give some hold. It's great for curl for people with curls um, or waves or thick hair as well, because it just deals with like the flyaways. So I just kind of use it to, to deal with here, the sides and the flyaways, and it just keeps it kind of contained, but without making it look weird. <laughs> and what products do you guys have right now? Yeah. So we launched with a shampoo, a conditioner, a shine serum, and a styling cream. And then we also have travel sizes of all those um, to, to try. So we only have four products to start, but our philosophy is very Japanese in the sense of simplicity. You know, like we're not going to be launching a shampoo for color-treated hair because our product works on color-treated hair. You know, we're not going to launch one for shine because our product actually helps you with shine. You know, you don't need to have like all those different options if the product does what it's supposed to do, if it works. So in other words, we're not going to be launching like another shampoo version next year with a different scent or with a different benefit. It's like, you don't need it. It's too confusing. And what benefits have you noticed your customers having from using your products? So we're so lucky because we just launched in February, but I have a couple of really hardcore customers who have absolutely just fallen in love and have ordered four, five, six times in the last couple of months. And the stuff that I hear back, one of them is really curly hair and she is 
obsessed with our styling cream because she feels like it makes her curls defined, but without looking, you know, like I said, clumpy or weighed down. I've had a couple people tell me, and this is anecdotal, I don't have, you know, we didn't do a, a study on this, so I can't make a claim on this, but I've had people tell me that it's helped their hair fall out less. So they've, their hair's fuller and it's helped their hair grow. It doesn't really surprise me because when people ingest it, it has a lot of um, insane health benefits. So, but again, I can't really make that claim because we haven't done the clinical study, but that's what people have said. And of course, healthy, shiny, your hair is more naturally shiny. I've had people tell me if they color their hair that it helps them, it helps it pop your color. Your color gets like enhanced as opposed to dull. So yeah, we've gotten some really, really fantastic response. We've got great reviews up on our site and on Amazon. So it's not just me saying it. Anyone can go look and see what people have to say. What have you guys been doing to really engage with your customers and keep them coming back? It's a really good question. So we, like I mentioned, we launched at Fashion Week in New York in February. And then we were talking with some salons and had gotten into um, a boutique in LA called Adderton and also one in DC. And when COVID hit, obviously that stuff kind of had to go on pause. So what we did is we just really focused on our content and our social and our current customers. And that's been really good. And I've started doing a lot more sampling because we found that when people try the product, they really love it. So for me, it's worth it to you know try to get it in as many people's hands as possible. Have you been using influencers? Have you been using Instagram ads? Is there any method that you know has worked the best for you guys? You know, Instagram ads for us have not had as much ROI as Facebook, actually. Don't know why. We're still trying to understand that. We have been using influencers. I'd say more micro-influencers. We're fortunate that we have a lot of makeup artists following us on Instagram. So we've had a lot of them reach out proactively and want to try our products. So we haven't had to do a ton of outreach to get to get product in people's hands so that's been so that's been a surprisingly like good thing because I thought you know that was going to be a lot harder to find those those people and what do you look for in influencers so I think it's mostly about you know their authenticity and engagement so we like I said we work with a lot of micro influencers so some of some of the people that have posted about us have you know 2,000 followers 5,000 followers it's not really about the number so much but they have really engaged followers who appreciate what they post and they they tend to be because they're not posting every single day different products you know they tend to be a little more thoughtful about their reviews and therefore I think probably a little more authentic. And what tips would you give to someone who wants to start a product-based business? So okay if you really want to start a product-based business first you got to think about is your product on trend or does it have a marketplace because I've had a lot of a lot of people who come up with an idea and they love it, but like they can sell it to like five other people, you know, it's just not a big enough idea. So the first thing is, you know, do a little bit of research, talk to your friends, talk to your family, make sure the idea is actually scalable and something that fills a, a niche in the marketplace. And then from there, there's a lot you've got to think about, you know, do you want to be a DTC brand, direct consumer brand, or do you want to sell through distributors and at retail? We made the decision to focus on DTC. And then that triggers a bunch of other decisions like what platform are you going to use? Are you going to use Shopify? Are you going to use something else? And then you have to 
really, you know, build out your storefront and your customer experience, which requires plugins and extensions and things. And, and then you have to make sure you've got the right team around you to be able to have a go-to-market strategy and you've got a trade market, by the way, don't forget that. <laughs> you have a brand, you've got a trade market. And yeah, there's a lot of little pieces that people don't realize and it can be expensive. So I think you have to be realistic about that side of it too and know that, okay, there are costs that you're not necessarily thinking of, like you have to pay legal fees to incorporate and paying a number of partners, whether it's QuickBooks or whatever, you know, monthly subscription fees. So you got to add all that up and make sure you're comfortable with either doing it on your own or getting an investor on board. And that's a whole different process. And what experiences have you taken from the other businesses you did before and put into this one? Yeah. So I was really a marketer and advertiser before. So my strength is building a brand and having it tell a cohesive brand story and understanding what the brand narrative is all about. So I took a lot of that experience directly into this. And I think a lot of people will make the product and worry about the brand later. But I think you really have to think about the brand up front. And by, when I talk about the brand, it's not just the branding of the product, but it's what are your values as a company? What are your behaviors? What's your archetype? What's your tone of voice? You know, really thinking through all that stuff so that when you launch, you're launching with a very cohesive, seamless point of view. Otherwise, you end up having a retrofit and back backpedal and do it later. It's much harder. Or what are some things that people might not necessarily think of when they're creating a brand that they should think of? I think that's a good question because I'm having a hard time answering it. I would say, yeah, I would say people think about all the different use cases because what you'll find, and this happened to us, I had one target in my mind of who I thought was going to buy our product, kind of the urban beauty explorer, discretionary income, you know, 30-ish years old, like we had a profile of this person. But what I've found is a couple of different groups have emerged. One is people with really fried color-treated hair tend to be older. And another is pregnancy uh, because our products are safe to use. Um, they're clean and they work. You know, that's like, that's, and vegan, by the way, we're vegan. So we've got a whole sort of vegan following. But I would say like, yeah, think through the use cases because you might be surprised actually that your business is evolving in a way that you didn't necessarily anticipate. And that can lead to other opportunities and other product extensions and, and whatnot. And how often do you recommend washing your hair? So that's the thing. I think actually most people, I know I ask people these things all the time, so it's not weird to have you ask. So I think most women that I know wash their hair like once or twice a week. And that's pretty standard. I think I, I, I'm a more frequent because I do yoga and swim and, you know, then I just, but you don't need to wash it every day. That's a total fallacy. And actually the suds that are in the shampoo, that's actually detergent. <laughs> that's the bad stuff. So it's like, yeah, not, not the best for you. And what is something that's lighting you up right now? I would say we're doing a lot of brand partnerships with other female founders. And it was almost like we all had to come together to help each other when COVID hit because 
And what are you going to do? Right. So we kind of sought each other out and that's been really awesome. Like I've really, really enjoyed that and the partnerships and we're just doing more and more and more of them. So I don't see that stopping, you know, once things go back to not just being virtual, I think we're going to continue to look for those kind of partnerships so that, you know, women can help each other. We can build each other's businesses. How have you been finding them? A lot of it is word of mouth, you know, so I'm part of a couple of different female founder groups. I'm part of Betaworks, um, which is a lot of founders there. So it's a lot of it is, is truly just, you know, so I'll get introduced to somebody from somebody else and then that's how I'll meet them. Or um, we just got into a retailer called Beauty Q. They're a sort of 3D virtual retailer. Um, and there's a brand that was on there that had reached out and wanted to do a collab. So it can be lots of ways, but I like it when it comes through the retailers because the retailers we're in are very selective about the brands they take. And so I know that the brand is going to have good values. They're going to be pretty clean. You know, they're, they're going to have a lot of the things I would look for. What is something that most people don't know about you? Well, probably that I'm a walking dispensary because I have a lot of gummies in my purse at any given time. And I live in states where I can do that. <laughs> what is the biggest challenge that you've overcome and how? I would say... My, my time at JWT at the end was really tough because we had a very public Me Too lawsuit. The global chief communications officer sued the global CEO, my boss, for sexual discrimination, sexual harassment. So that was a really difficult time because I was kind of on the front line dealing with press, dealing with lawyers, dealing with clients, dealing with people, dealing with HR. And... I did it as long as I could. I stuck it out for two years. The lawsuit went on for two years. And then I just didn't want to leave and leave people hanging. But then I just decided enough and I had to get out. So I would say, yes, I overcame that challenge. It was not fun, but I learned a lot. What helped you through it? The good thing about it, if there's a silver lining, is that it really enabled us to have a lot of open conversations about diversity and what that means and how to implement it in a more meaningful way in our organization, which was large. So it did feel like out of that pain came some, hopefully some positive. I don't know whether it's stuck or not, because I haven't been there. So hard to know, but hopefully, you know, they've embraced that even more. And what's your favorite part of your business? Oh boy. I, I love getting out and talking to people about the brand, meeting new retailers, meeting new partners. It's been hard for me to be cooped up. Ugh, it's just, <laughs> but that's what I, I really love. And that's been fun. What motivates you? I'm somebody that's my husband and I talk about this fairly often. I like to be really productive. I like to make shit happen. I don't have patience to wait. And he's kind of like, why are you working so hard, you know? But that's, I like to see things come to life, you know? That's what motivates me. So taking something from an idea that's just in our head to actually creating it, it's amazing. Um, and then you have people experience it, and then you can take that and take it even further. So yeah, that's been really awesome. And when you're hiring, what do you look for in a team member? I am a little unusual in that I almost never hire on pure capabilities. I almost always hire on 
values, I guess. So I always want to bring in somebody who's curious, not afraid to ask stupid questions, who's not afraid to learn from all over people, different roles above and below and whatever. So curiosity for sure. And then, you know, I like people that are really open-minded that don't get stuck in, no, we have to do it this way because there's so many opportunities these days to do things differently, to pivot, to learn from other businesses. And you just have to be willing. You can't get stuck. What's something that you're learning right now? Well, I'm trying to learn TikTok from my teenagers, but that's (laughs) not going to (laughs) Yeah, that's, they just roll their eyes. They're super embarrassed. Are you trying to learn it for your brand or for your personal brand? Trust me, for my brand, not for my personal (laughs) brand. Yes, Um, that's been interesting. Because they basically, I asked my kids, I'm like, why is this a popular video? They're like, it's literally a video of some random person doing nothing or dancing, whatever, you know, these, and they, they just laugh. They like, don't even bother to try to explain to me why it's cool. I don't get it. So there we go. I know. Right. (laughs) And what were your twenties like? So my twenties, my twenties were fun. You know, I was just getting started in advertising. Um, I was in Chicago for the early part of my twenties. And then I moved to New York. And back in the day, we used to go out all the time, like the advertising crew, every night, the young kids would go out. And now I find I don't see that happening so much because the business has gotten much harder and you have to work a lot more. (laughs) So they just don't probably have the, the luxury of the time that we did back then. But yeah, my 20s were quite fun, but I wouldn't want to go back there. And what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, God, I would say never get a perm. I got the worst perm when I was like 22, and it was horrible, and those pictures still haunt me. So just don't do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Where can people connect with you? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Pretty much all the social channels, you can find me at Lynn Powered, P-O-W-E-R-E-D, or uh, at Love Masami Hair. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> YouTube, <laughs> or you can check out our website, which is lovemasami.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.